Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Thank you that you love us. This morning, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be in your... Uh, how's it go? The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. <laughs> my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, we're just going to call it quits. And... Uh, Okay. What's that? It's going to be a good morning. Yes. It's good to see you. I'll stop crying. <laughs> All right. Uh, what was I? I was going to say something before I started. Oh, partnership. Um, partnership 101 meetings are going to be in January. Uh, that should have been in the email this week. Uh, they're going to be two consecutive Sundays, I believe the 13th and the 20th. And they're going to be right after church. Um, partnership, and you heard it uh, last month, we had a few partners just kind of give a, a testimony of what it is. It really is just a group of people uh, being accountable to discipleship. You hear every morning that um, you know our mission is to help people mature as followers of Jesus, and, and we believe the rhythms excellent um, are, are uh, we have seven kind of rhythms that we, we say part, <laughs> partners partake in. And, and so it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you more holy. It just puts you in the place of being accountable to uh, the community on a, on a little bit of a different level. And so we have two meetings, uh, two 101 classes uh, the first one is uh, we just go over what a partner is of Oasis Church. And then the second one is we ask you to read this little book. Um, it literally takes about an hour to read, so you'll have no problem reading it uh, in a week's time. And then we kind of uh, discuss uh, some highlights in that book that, that we think are important. And so um, sign up for that if, if God is leading you into the kind of this, this, this deeper place of accountability among the brothers and sisters in the community. Um, and uh, you'll, get, you'll get the emails. You can sign up online, and this way we know how many books to have for you. All right. With that being said, I have found in my own life that I tend to take things for granted. 
And I tend to take them for granted because they become very familiar. And, and I've talked about this too, the, that, that sometimes the things that we see day in and day out lose their wow factor, lose their cool factor. Because we see them and we experience them and they become kind of the same old, same old. I really think it's kind of a, an adult disease that we begin to just kind of go through life and miss the of the things that God has just kind of laid out before us. Um, there's that park in Meriden, um, the one that's lit with Hubbard Park. And we drive through there and you drive through now and it's just like, mm. and it's the same thing. But if you watch and if you can get a look at the children, their faces, it's wow. And there's this, there's this joy, there's a surprise when kids can look at Christmas lights, Santa's house. And it's decorated and it catches their attention. Or the wonder of watching a fly or watching a spider eat a fly. Come on, you, you got to admit it. Cool or what? But as adults, we lose the, the wow factor in the everyday of, of life. There was, uh, there's a missions trip that I, I took. We've taken a few times to Africa with um, Hope Homes. And when you go, they will take you up about 8,000 feet onto the side of a mountain, and you will overlook the Rift Valley of, of Africa. And it's probably one of the most beautiful things that I've, I've ever seen. I was able to spend a couple nights there and I, and it's so vast and the skies are so open that I watched a thunder and lightning storm come across the valley and it took about an hour, but I could see the lightning and hear the thunder and the rain far away. And then it just kind of moved across and it landed on top of, of where I was staying. It's so high in elevation that uh, many world-class runners, they train at the 8,000 foot level because of high climate or high altitude training, the air is thin. And so they, they train. I'm talking about Olympians. I'm talking about um, world's class elite runners. In fact, um, the Rift Valley holds the world's record for the longest hang glide. So these people jump off the side of the mountain, stupid, um, in a little hang glide. And, and they, they, it's the longest one ever recorded. I want to show you a little video of... Um, my experience that I, this, this is the Rift Valley. So it goes down, drops off again. At night, there's very few lights down there because those are all villages. That's the Rift Valley in Kenya. William and Mora, they take their guests up there. And for them, they just kind of stand around and lean and wait for you to take your pictures and wait for you to take your video and wait for you to pick your jaw up off the ground and go, oh, yeah, because they have seen it over and over and over again. And familiarity just has almost stolen 
the wonder and the beauty of it. That video doesn't do it justice. It's amazing to, to experience and to see it. If we're honest with ourselves, the same thing happens for us Christians when we read the Bible. When we read the, the stories in the Bible, the same stories. And it's not that the word of God loses impact or importance to us. It's just we tend to read those stories a little quicker because we've read them so many times over and over again. And the Christmas story is one that I believe we take for granted and we rush through and it's lost the wow for us. It's lost the wonder for us because we celebrate it every year. There's this cultural side of Christmas that uh, we celebrate and it's gifts and it's family and it's dinners and it's, it's busy and it's travel and it's all those things. And all those things are, are good, but they take place every year. And then there's the, the, uh, the Christian side of it and the, the holiday holds importance for us because it's, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the birth of our Lord. And, and, and so it's, it's important and it's significant but it's the same story, and sometimes familiarity breeds this, this place of just, okay, it's the Christmas story. And so I thought this morning we're going to read part of the story, and, and we're going to make some observations. I'm going to make some observations in the story. And maybe they'll be new to you. Maybe they won't. Maybe you'll be bored. Uh, maybe you'll go, whoa. But I want to encourage you to, to maybe look at this little section of Scripture as, as little children. Don't let the, the adult disease of familiarity ruin the greatest story that's ever been told. And so we're going to look into a little part of Matthew's story of the Christmas, and it's really shown from the place of Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Right off the bat, we see Mary is pregnant. I know. Rocket science. It's very obvious. Joseph does not want her to be his wife. Now, there's stages of marriage in first century in, in Judaism. The first stage would be as, as the, the boy and the girl are very young, usually the boy being a little older than the girl. 
uh, they would be engaged. It's when families come together and say, okay, I have a good-looking son. You have a good-looking daughter. I think they should be married. And so it's kind of, it's, it's a word-of-mouth type of, of contract. At any time during this engagement period, uh, either party could back out without any legal, uh, legal proceedings taking place. As they become older and as the marriage becomes, uh, gets closer, there is a, a, a stage called betrothal. And this is, this is the closest to marriage before they are actually married. And this usually lasts about a year. And the only difference between being married and being betrothed to be married is the man and the woman, they don't live together. And so the man lives still at home. The woman lives still at her home. The man is usually preparing or building a place for them to live, usually within his father's house or, or in, the fa- in, the, in the area of the father's uh, land. And the only way to break off this betrothal before the marriage is through a legal divorce. And so this is where we find Joseph and Mary. It's in this, it's in this one year time frame. Mary says that she's, she's pregnant. And now last week we looked and said, you know, she's kind of in a tough spot. She is a young 12 to 14 year old girl. She has to go to her mom, her family, her dad. She has to go to her husband's, and say, I'm pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit, and an angel appeared to me, I wouldn't buy it. But understand, Joseph is in a difficult spot too. I mean, this is the woman that he has been told he's going to marry pretty much all of his life where he understood what marriage is. This is going to be the mother of his children. This is going to be the woman who will manage his household. This is, this is supposed to be a joyous time. He's getting ready. He's building their place where they're going to live. And so now he's, he's given this, this news that his wife is pregnant. He is not the father. The Holy Spirit is the father. And an angel appeared to her and told her this was going to happen. It would be very difficult for him to believe just as it would be for us to believe. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Just just for a minute. How do you think he must have felt? This joyous time of getting ready to be husband and wife is now filled with, with scandal. Matthew doesn't tell us how he felt. But I think we can imagine betrayed. I'm, I'm sure it was an indifference and like, yeah, whatever, Mary, you're, you're good to go. Hurt, saddened. He's a godly man. He's faithful to the law, the law, God's commands on how people are to live their life. And as a godly man, he can't just ignore the law. The law said that the marriage needs to be broken off because of what has taken place. He is not the father, his bride is pregnant. And so he needs to take action to fulfill. He's, he's a godly man. He loves the Lord. And yet he's a man of compassion and he's a man of dignity. 
a private divorce. He's going to keep things quiet. He's going to do the best that he can, watch this now, to protect Mary and himself. This is, this is a disgrace. Everyone would know about this. He's able to live the life that God has called him to live. And in the same way, he wants to show God's mercy and love to someone who has hurt him. To someone who has what, what looks to be a betrayal. He's within all of his rights to go public with this and for Mary to be disgraced. Yet he chooses compassion. He chooses, he chooses to show her love in the face of what he looks as, as being betrayed. I think we can learn a lot from him in just in that, just in that one little instance, how we respond to others, how we live out the love of God within our Christianity. That we would consider a person who has wronged us, that we would look out for their best interest, that we would try to ease their burden. It's a very interesting perspective that Joseph has. I believe he really loves this woman, Mary. So things move along. Joseph's made his decision. He's dealing with the pain. He's dealing with the shame. Both families probably are. This is this is a, this is what the you know this is an explosion. This is a they hit a landmine. So a quiet divorce is how Joseph is going to handle it. And then we see as the story unfolds. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and said, "Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid." Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. It's an interesting dynamic, the Holy Spirit, the movement of God. Sometimes when God moves, sometimes when the Spirit comes upon a situation or a people or a person, from the world's perspective, it could look like a scandal. It could look like it doesn't make any sense at all. How could this be? The entire life of Jesus, from the world's perspective, was a failure and a scandal. This, this, this Jewish rabbi pushing back the norms of religion. How dare he? He's, he's pushing back what, what has been practiced for years and years and hundreds of years. How dare he? You look at the Bible, some of the, the New Testament things in the Bible are scandalous. Just the fact that, that the, um, the testimony of women in the Bible, I, I don't want to sound derogatory anyway, and I'm not, but in this culture, the testimony of women would not have held up anywhere. And yet the scripture talks about the testimony of women to Jesus being risen from the dead. Scandal rocks the entire Bible. And so we see first this angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now again, this angel is sent to Joseph. And the same thing, Joseph, don't worry about this. This child in her is the Holy Spirit. Joseph is going to have to take some grief for this. 
he is going to have to believe, and he does believe her. The Holy Spirit is now responsible for the physical manifestation of the pre-existent Jesus coming into the world. You get that? The Holy Spirit is responsible for the physical manifestation of the pre-existent Jesus coming into the world. It's the power of the Spirit that is... Um, overshadowed Mary. Now Jesus will be, as the scripture says in Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made in human form. And we talk about the spirit. We talk about the move of the spirit. We, we understand the, I don't know how to, the, the, the spiritual side of it. The, 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 the ramifications that we saw in Jesus' life, the miracles, the, the prayer, all of these, the, the, the deep spirituality. I don't know how, how else to, to word it. But it's also very obvious that the Holy Spirit, um, his work is within a physical realm. The work of the Spirit here in this text is it's, it's material, it's tangible, it's visible. The Spirit is creating, has created this child in Mary. If you read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, you'll see that there's, there's these gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, and, and all these, these deeply spiritualized things. And it's a pretty comprehensive teaching that, that's given in those chapters. But I really believe that the fundamental work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the believer's life is, is to take place, lead, guide, manifest in a real physical way, just in the everyday mundane things that we experience. We always like try to hyper-spiritualize everything, but the Spirit is at work daily creating and recreating Things that are happening in our lives. He created God in the flesh. And he wants to continue to create and recreate us. Heart, soul. The spirit is the key player that moves a person from darkness to light, from death to life. It's the activity of of him within us. The spirit is the single power, the only power that we have against an enemy that looks to destroy us. If the enemy cannot have your soul, he will want to and try to destroy the abundant life that Jesus has come to give us. The scripture says that he prowls around like a lion looking for, looking for someone to devour. Our only power to stand against the enemy is the power of the Holy Spirit that is upon us daily and just in the everyday things. You can't say, you can't say Jesus is Lord without, and, and believe it and, and, say it and say it from the heart without the spirit. If you are insulted because you're a Christian, the scripture tells us in 1 Peter, it's because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God is upon you. First Corinthians. Oh, that's not it. Never mind. I told you it's going to be a tough morning. <laughs> And so he is available and moving in the everyday of our lives. 
You are here because of the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. I know that you, you decided that you were going to come here this morning and you got to get dressed and you had to, uh, but it's the Spirit of God that drew you to a place of worship where Jesus is glorified and held up. The Spirit is alive and well in the church. And we know this for the simple truth that is only by the Spirit that we can believe and understand the full humanity of Jesus. Jesus was fully human. He came as this baby, fully human, engaged and struggled within the human condition. He was hungry. I can imagine he had sore feet. He was tired. Jesus lived a fully human life. And if there are ever any seeds of doubt in the full humanity of Jesus, then we know that that is a lie from the enemy because this is what John writes in his epistle. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. John is combating uh, this idea in the church during this time, they're, they're over-spiritualizing. They're, over, um, they're, they're putting more importance on the divinity of Jesus and they're forgetting about his humanity. And so any spirit that, any spirit that says, no, Jesus was not fully human is from the enemy because it is from the spirit of God that we know and believe fully human, fully God. And so in this story, we see, once again, the angel appears to Joseph. And the spirit of the Lord is, is alive and well and active and moving. He's going to bring the physical Christ into this world. But there's another nuance of Joseph that I, that I want to just kind of look at and and, uh, and remind us of, because last week in Luke, Luke writes from a perspective of seeing things through the eyes of Mary. But in Matthew, Matthew goes with, with the Joseph perspective. I just want to read this again. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son and he gave him the name Jesus. In the beginning of Matthew's gospel, there's this genealogy. Um, you've probably only read it once. I mean, all the way through, be honest. And as you kind of read through, by the time you get to verse 16, you will see that Joseph, this Joseph, is in the lineage of, of King David, which then puts Jesus in the lineage of King David. And so in his dream, when the angel of the Lord appears to him, he calls him Joseph, son of David. 
Nowhere in the New Testament is son of David given to any other person but Jesus, except in this instance with Joseph. Joseph, son of David. Joseph, the surrogate father of of God, which is no small detail. Joseph, this humble peasant, marrying this humble peasant girl is of royal bloodline. And he would give Jesus the bloodline that's been prophesied about throughout the whole Old Testament. And so Joseph changes his mind and he's going to take Mary as his wife. Joseph will adopt this son to be his own. So there's the legal transaction that took place, even though that he might have suffered the scorn of people around him, people kind of looking at them funny, people trying to... to uh, convince themselves that uh, angel, yeah, I'm not buying the whole angel thing. But Joseph will take her as his wife, both in the legal sense, and I do believe that he loves this woman. And then in verse 25, we see that Joseph took Jesus to be his son because he gave him the name Jesus. And that's a father's, uh, it's, it's a father's, obligation to name his son. And by giving him the name, that means that that child belongs to him. Joseph will take Mary as his wife. Joseph will take Jesus as his son. And the prophecy of the entire Old Testament will be fulfilled because the obedience of one man in the face of ridicule ridicule and shame in his, his culture, in his hometown. Now, I don't know if any of this is rocket science. I don't know if everybody is kind of going, oh, I don't see anybody ever doing. Oh, so I'm just going to think that this is just kind of maybe, oh, okay, that was good. And those are some observations. Yeah, maybe we should have stayed home today. But here's the thing. There's nine days left before Christmas. All your shopping done? No. There's nine days left for you to go back to a very familiar story. For you to go back and pray that the Spirit of the Lord would open the Scripture to you in a new and different way. To read a story that you've probably either heard or read over and over for years and years. That you, you have nine days left to go back, sit before the Lord, open up his word and say, will you show me something new? And I believe that that prayer will be answered. That prayer will be answered. Father, will you show me something new? You have nine days to, to glean new insight. You have nine days for the spirit of the Lord to reveal to you something that maybe you've never seen in the stories before. Nine more days to sit and marinate over Christmas, the, the birth of the Savior, the forgiveness of our sin, the reconciliation of this broken, sinful human being to the creator of the universe. We should all be going, wow, every day. But we get caught up in just the familiar. We get caught up in the, the, 
The same Christmas tree with the same Christmas lights with the same Christmas ornaments. Oh, you might get a new one every year. I'm sure that the, the Crochies will have a new one. Baby's first Christmas. Baby's second Christmas. And then by the time their second child will never be a picture because we know that the first child always rates and the second one not so much. You have nine more days to press into the story to pay attention, be quiet long enough for God to speak to you something new. And and, and I really believe if, if you would give yourself, give yourself to that approach, to that discipline during this season, and then from here on out on Christmas, you will never, ever have a same old, same old Christmas again. It's God's good pleasure to reveal himself to his people. God is just waiting for you to sit quietly for a minute and listen. He wants to bless you in that way. And it's by that spirit, that same spirit that manifests the physical Jesus, the preexistent Jesus in the womb of this peasant girl. That same spirit wants to reveal the truth of who Christ is to you in a different, deeper, profound way. Nine more days. Press in. Press in. Maybe you've been kind of distracted um, this season. It's very easy to. Don't beat yourself up. We're going to have some people up here that want to pray for you. Maybe just kind of pray that you can refocus back in on this greatest story that's ever told. And so if you're kind of just sensing the spirit, just churning around in you, doing something in you, just come on up. We'll pray for you. Don't worry, we're in church. People get prayed for in church. Don't be awkward. Father, we thank you for the story. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for Jesus. Father, on behalf of this community, I pray that you would give them the spirit of revelation and you would just explode the scripture with new meaning and insight. That you would show Jesus in a way that we have never seen before. Pray these things in his name, in his power, and in his grace. Amen. Amen. So remember to keep Keith in prayer, keep Dora in prayer, keep John and Michelle in prayer. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.